0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the third episode of the Let's Discuss Sports Podcast. We have Rob Wilson, football finance expert from Sheffield Hallam University with us. And we will be discussing various aspects regarding the title chase in the Premier League, the UEFA Champions League, the sacking of Claudio Ranieri and Ken (laughs) Pariz of the reaction. Hello, Rob. How are you?
1: Hey, Sartak. Yeah, very good, thanks. Looking forward to this.
0: So, we have only like 10 game weeks remaining until the end of the Premier League season. And the major question for me is like, what is the financial cost of a position in the Premier League? For example, like say the difference between fourth and fifth place or sixth and seventh place.
1: Well, yeah, you're right. Business end of the season. Uh, all the teams are you know, going to be trying to optimise their performances to do exactly that, to try and climb up the league uh, and get the highest finishing position. But there's this interesting um, kind of uh, mis... What's the right word? Misinterpretation of of a placing, let's say. So, in financial terms, the difference between fourth and fifth, or fifth and sixth, or sixth and seventh, is around about one point two to one point five million pounds. Not a huge amount at all. Um, add into that a little bit of uh, additional games that they might have been shown on the television, um, some additional facility fees, that type of thing, and that might grow, let's say, to two million. But it's that's insignificant, isn't it, if you consider the context of the Premier League. The biggest issue is those clubs that are trying to compete into or get into the places that are going to contribute to European competition. So whilst the actual monetary difference between fifth and fourth might be 2 million, if you qualify in fourth, you get Champions League. Most English teams tend to get to the knockout phase of the Champions League. That was worth about 50 million. So whilst the actual monetary difference in Premier League terms is very small, the European implications are quite significant. And again, if you're eighth instead of seventh or sixth um, and you miss out on Europa League, then obviously whilst it's not 50 million, it will still be about 25 to 30, something like that. Um, So it's that that's important. And then right down at the bottom end of the table, again, difference between 16th and 17th is about 2 million, but then you're also missing out on 120 million quid the following season for your, for your Premier League place. So um, I say the monetary value of a place is small, but the impact of that place could be quite quite different.
0: Going down to the bottom end of the table, yesterday Fulham sacked Claudio Ranieri yeah. and this is the second managerial change of the season. Yeah. I was having a look through their balance sheets from previous year, not the previous financial year, the last time the balance sheet was ready released and the losses were somewhere around the range of £289 million. Mm-hmm. Pounds. Obviously, Manchester United has got a debt of £500 million, but they are Manchester United, and this is Fulham, and Fulham are currently 19th in the league table and potentially facing relegation. So if they are relegated, what will be the financial implications on them?
1: We've asked a couple of interesting questions in that, um, in that bit of commentary, so I'll answer that last question first. Um, they'll get a parachute payment if they get relegated. Yeah. The parachute payment, I think, will be worth something in order of about £40 million. Um Completely nonsense, if you ask me. It's, you know, Premier League's rewarding a failure. Um, And philosophically and practically, actually, when you look at the data, parachute payments should just be abolished because it creates this imbalance that um, I know we've talked about previously um, in the championship. So it'll skew that position. So they will lose out on, let's say, 60, 65 million pounds worth of revenue because of their Premier League status. Um, That's obviously a big impact on their...
0: um, On that income sign. I mean like I had a look at the wages of Fulham Football Club this morning and last year they were paying fourteen million pounds in wages to their players. Yeah. It increased three hundred percent to forty two million pounds this year. And considering like I guess last year they received around one hundred twenty million after they were promoted from the championship. They spent all of that in transfer transfers and they're potentially running debts again.
1: They were really aggressive, weren't they, last summer? They they invested essentially all of their Premier League payment in transfer fees. Um, they would have obviously had to pay Premier League wages, but one of the things we are starting to see, particularly with um, with new clubs in the Premier League, is they tie players to relegation clauses, so typically you would expect um, you know, if a Premier League contract is worth 100%, then you would typically expect them to earn about 30% of that value in the championships. Their wages would drop by 70%, and where that has happened, we've seen clubs survive in the championship um, where you have players that are still tied to an old Premier League contract, as um, quite famously at Sunderland Jack Rodwell was still tied to his Premier League deal at about seventy grand a week when they were playing at the bottom end of the championship. That's huge, huge liability on a on a balance sheet, although it's not the correct use of the terminology, you know exactly what I mean um and that kind of really destabilizes destabilises the club Um, just going back to some of the things you just opened up that little discussion with about Ranieri being sacked I think that is absolutely bonkers that you would employ somebody for 100 days that was already in charge of a ship that was essentially sinking Um, you might argue that he hasn't had the bounce effect that you would normally get with some sort of managerial change and the data that we've got at the university that I know you've seen um, would suggest you normally get a short term spike when you make a change that obviously hasn't happened at Fulham um, but that's still a massive call and will be costly you know so they have spent a lot of money they're now going to spend a bit more money they've got to get a new manager in um, I think they're probably looking at um, how they consolidate over the summer um, and, and give it a good run in the championship and of course they'll be in a much better position to do that with all the riches they've got from the Premier League coming down
0: I mean about the championship the championship season it is also coming to an end and we have spoke about like Fulham getting 120 million like It is called the promised land for the championship teams, the Premier League. And also the National League season is coming to an end, which is the non-league, obviously, the level below step four. So what does financially a promotion for a non-league team mean to League Two?
1: It's not anything like you might expect when we start talking about £120 in the Premier League. Um, Last time we tied it up and did some average calculations for... um, Those national league clubs coming into League Two, you're talking about three hundred thousand ish in terms of the merit payment that they get from the from the Premier League, creeps up to about a million and a half by the time we get to League One, and there might be let's say seven million by the time we get to the Championship. So in comparison to the Premier League, it is absolutely peanuts. But that said, you know, quarter of a million three hundred thousand to an old national league club is quite significant. I think the biggest there's almost a bigger challenge for those clubs because they're coming from very very small budgets and they're then having to compete with teams that have been been around in league two for for some time and it makes it very difficult for them to compete unless they get some sort of cash injection um from a sponsor or some sort of capital investment from an owner um but because of financial fair play, you get much less of that happening
0: We have like recently seen Knotts county they can't pay two hundred two hundred grand year yeah yeah. And on the other hand, Manchester City has signed 650 million Kid (laughs) Day, which is like bonkers. Yeah. And so, like, what does it it potentially mean for Notts County if they go into administration?
1: Well, ultimately, what we're talking about there is the first principles of finance. It's selling price higher than the cost. Can you pay debts as a 4 you? It doesn't matter if you're a Premier League team, a Championship League, one League, two National League, part time grassroots team that I run. the same problems. we have to balance budgets our income has to meet our expenditure or indeed exceed it um and if we borrow some money from a supplier then we have to pay that on time um lots county haven't done that um they've they've done they would have undertaken a series of strategic options to try and make sure that they didn't get into the position they're in her majesty's revenue customs got responsibility to reclaim tax we've got um Something called the football creditors rule, which means football related parties get paid first, which has meant that HMRC have been the ones to uh, to instigate a winding up order because it means they get their money first. As a UK taxpayer, I think that's what they should be doing. Um, as a football fan, you never like to see a club go into administration or to, to be faced with winding up petitions. You know, Ultimately, they could go out of business completely. Um, we very rarely see that in professional football. There is always somebody out there that wants to acquire a club. Um, I think the closest one we got to recently was probably Bottom Wanderers that really didn't go so well and are trying to re-establish themselves now. Um, I would expect there'll be you know, some sort of fundraising. They'll find the 200k and they'll stave off that administration threat for a little while longer.
0: Now, speaking about the financial implications, recently Chelsea Football Club faced a transfer ban for signing players they never play. <laughs> And should they choose to like contest the ban, there will be obviously legal costs associated with. It. Yeah. But should the ban say ban stay on Chelsea Football Club, what does it financially mean to the club?
1: There's an interesting I was talking to somebody from a national newspaper about this very topic this morning and I know you're a Chelsea fan, I think. Yeah, I'm a Chelsea fan. Uh so you might not like this message, but you know, let's let's serve it up anyway. Um the the FA, the EPL, have got a responsibility to protect the integrity of the competition. They're, and in my view, there are a number of clubs that have been abusing that system. Um, Chelsea have been charged with recruiting players underage and doing some things that you're not allowed to do. They're not the only ones, as far as we're, we're aware, um, but they are the first ones. And I think they're the first ones because of the sheer scale of their operations, so the number of loan deals that they have, the development of those players. And just take a step back from that. As a business strategy, It's actually quite smart because you can get these players in very young. They see Chelsea Football Club. They get blinded by the glitz and the glamour. Um, When they get to 18, they can get some fairly lucrative contracts because they're established in the Premier League. No one gets near them. They can then farm them out on loan, increase their value, and more than recover the costs. So they're using it as a production line, essentially. It's a manufacturing plant that is producing products that other people are then buying um they buy them for a premium and that then goes into Chelsea's transfer strategy. So from a business point of view you can understand why they want that model to operate. From a I guess a moral and ethical and dare I say a legal aspect, though I'm not a legal expert, it would suggest that they've been breaking the rules and so a couple of other clubs. But to go to your question, you know what's going to be the financial impact of that? That could be significant because if they can't sign players for two transfer windows, let's assume the band stays. That threatens their, um, their play on-pitch playing performance. And we've just talked about the fact that uh, the finishing fourth can generate you £50 million worth of additional revenue when you play in the Champions League. So if they're competing against five other teams, because there are six that are right up there, those five other teams can invest in the transfer market, should naturally be able to improve their playing performance. So actually, whilst the cost to Chelsea might be missed revenue of £50 million, the gap is actually 100. million. Because they missed 50 and someone else has earned that. Now that's two, three, four players. So it makes a big difference for your playing squad potentially. Um, so longer term could have quite a profound impact on, you know, the development and enhancement of, of Chelsea's squad and, and ultimately their playing position.
0: Let us now shift towards the football side of things. <laughs> you didn't like that, do you? <laughs> I didn't like that, but yeah. But you have to accept the harsh truth, like, Yep. We have seen Chelsea loaning out players for years, like mm. ever since I remember. Yeah. Now, speaking about Chelsea on the football side of things, what do you think about Kepa Arrizabalaga like, uh, becoming the manager of Chelsea in the last minutes of the League Cup final? Yeah.
1: Uh, one thing we don't have for that is all the uh, is all the information around that case, do we? We, we, I'm sure you saw it. I saw it on the television. Um, my interpretation was they thought he was injured when to make a substitution. Only the manager and that team know whether or not that was a planned substitution. As an impartial fan on that day, Caballero should have come on. He's a penalty specialist. He used to play for Man City. If nothing else, those Man City players taking those penalties would have had a little doubt in their mind, might have changed their mind and missed a penalty. So the game outcome could have been very, very different. But let's park that because it didn't happen. What we actually saw was a player Perceiving that they had sufficient power to tell a manager, I don't need to be substituted. Now, whether that was because of an injury or not is kind of immaterial in this context. In in three or four minutes of live football, Kepper demonstrated the issue that has blighted Chelsea Football Club for years and years and years. And that is the short term nature of their managerial tenure. So the players have got used to this managerial churn. And they know that if they step out of line or they misbehave or something goes uh, in a different way to them, that enough of the players can f- almost force that pressure on a manager, and ultimately the manager is the one that gets relieved of, of his job. Um, you know, and I'm sure you'll be able to recall a number of instances over the last five six years where that player power has got quite strong, and a manager has then uh,
0: Louis lost Phillips, Scolari, Andrew villas Boss, yeah. Jose Mourinho's second term, yeah. Antonio Conte, Conte to an extent, yeah. Probably sorry as well. But,
1: but it shows you, doesn't it, how you know, the manager should have ultimate power in that in that dynamic and in that relationship. And what you've got at Chelsea is a a historical narrative that says that manager's not going to be around for that long, so it doesn't actually matter. And if I step out of line, it's the manager that ultimately is going to carry the can. And will do in this case, you know, he benched him uh, on Wednesday night. He might bench him for a couple more weeks yet. Yeah. Ultimately though, that guy costs seventy million quid, will be back in that side. and his talented goalkeeper will be back in that side. And as soon as he comes back into the side, you know exactly what the press are gonna say and then they will get this polarisation of opinion. Now uh, is the manager in charge or are the players in charge? And unfortunately I think because I think the model that Sarri is doing is probably the right one, it's just having teething problems. Same with Guardiola at Man City.
0: I mean like if Sarri was the manager of say Manchester United or Liverpool, or if I am just imagining, like, what would have happened if Sir Alex Ferguson was there? He substituted Kepa Rizablaga and he's threw a fit on the pitch. Probably killed him. Well, I don't think it would have
1: happened. But I don't think it would have happened because the managerial power is, is has got a higher degree of integrity. Because those managerial changes are less frequent. In some of the clubs, they are only slightly less frequent, but they are less frequent. And Chelsea's kind of got this reputation for hiring and firing. That's a number of Premier League clubs. They're not on their own in that. Um, th- and it's that power dynamic that determines what what happens. So, you know, would it have happened with Alex Ferguson? Absolutely not. But it's a completely different cultural context and, and the power that he had in that dressing room. Could it have happened with another Manchester United manager? Possibly. We we, we don't know because we haven't seen it. Um, and that, that, I think, for me, if I was on the board of directors at Ch- that, uh, Chelsea, that says... There's a bigger problem that they need to address, and that is is hiring and firing that they've been doing the right way. And go back to one of your earlier questions about the transfer ban. If I was the Chelsea board now, I'd be looking at Sarri and thinking, "We're going to get this transfer ban." I think they're resigned to the fact they're going to have it's going to happen, whether or not they appeal or not. If they do have a two-window transfer ban, what is the point in changing the manager? Because nobody can come in and change anything unless they're already going to Solskjaer at Manchester United, where the raw talent is in the squad. All those managers want to add to the squad. So anybody coming into Chelsea now is hamstrung from day one. So I think they'll stick with him. And I think it gives an opportunity to stick with him and see what happens.
0: And also speaking about, like, what does since the game was on live television, what message does it send out to kids who play football on weekends?
1: It's far from ideal, isn't it? Um, you know, I've got an 11-year-old son he asked me what on earth was going on because in his Sunday league side if a man, if his manager tells him he's coming off he's sprinting off because he knows that that's what you have to do um, it was not a good advert for the football club um, they have come out with some narrative to try and explain what happened you know, there is a brand value attached to that they need to, to make sure that they're not um, those images aren't heralded for, for too much longer and you know, I think what we saw by the benching of him on Wednesday has probably nipped it in the bud slightly, which is, I think, important for their kind of long term progress with sponsors and that type of thing.
0: So, few few more questions before we end the podcast, and one of this: is, Do you think this will finally be Liverpool's year?
1: No, <laughs> no. I think uh, I think Man City have have had their little blip. I think they're rediscovering some form. Um, I just i. There's something in me that says Man City are going to. We'll, we'll end up winning it by four or five points.
0: And also some predictions on who will win the Champions League, the Europa League, and the other big five leagues.
1: Right. So I mean, let's start with Champions League. I think it's wide open. Um, I would say the same for the Europa League, and we've seen, haven't we, over the last couple of rounds of fixtures that nobody's, for me at least, nobody's really coming through and saying we're the team to beat here. Some people will look at Paris and think they played well against Manchester United. I don't think they did. I think the two injuries that Manchester United got allowed Paris to play. I think a rather questionable refereeing decision not to book one of the players early on in the game backfired because he ultimately then went on and scored. I don't think Paris played particularly well. Mbappe was incredible, but other than that, I don't think Paris really stepped up. Um, Juventus are going to have an easy season. They'll win their league. Bayern Munich will have an easy season, they'll win their league and because of those... We have
0: seen like Dortmund finally bottling it.
1: The the issue, you go back to competitive balance theory, those... Juventus and Bayern Munich are so, so strong in those divisions, I'm not... i I'll put my house on the fact that both those teams are going to win their respective domestic leagues and because they're going to do that, that takes the pressure off a little bit, which means they can focus on the Champions League. So I think Juventus certainly will be right out there this year. Spain will be interesting, you know, it's going to be the Real Madrid-Barcelona show and we'll see how that pans out. I think what will be really important is the next two or three weeks of that championship to see where that ends up going. Um, Who haven't we covered? So Man City for the EPL, Paris in France, Juventus in Italy, Bayern Munich in Germany. Uh, I don't know. I wouldn't bet on the Spanish
0: league just yet. Thanks for your time, Rob. My pleasure. Nice recording with you. Anytime. Thank you.